was your home, their, your home church that you were going out of, but, you know, Gage's dad's a pastor. He wouldn't go for that idea. That's not going to fly. Boys and girls, children's church, ages four years old through the fourth grade. You can head out this morning. Thank you, David and Rachel Kane, for heading that up for us today. Four-year-olds through fourth grade. I think I said when I preached on Mother's Day that I've been having been the pastor here now like 30 years. I know I've preached at least 30 Mother's Day message, maybe more. And I would say the same thing today on Father's Day. I always preach a Father's Day message on Father's Day, so I'm sure I've preached 30 of those or a few more. I might have preached even one or two at night. And I've been thinking of all the different fathers in the Bible, and I thought, yeah, I've preached on him, I've preached on him, I've preached on him. And so I finally thought, you know, I don't know if I've ever preached on our Heavenly Father. And so I started thinking about God, our Heavenly Father, but as I was working on that message, my mind kept going back to James chapter 2, I think it's verse 21, where we're told that Abraham was the father of us all. And I thought, you know, Abraham, our father, that'd be a good message, our father, regarding how to be saved, our father about how to show we're saved, live forth. I mean, it's like, so I'm working on that message. I come to the office after we got back from vacation, come to the office, I think it was Wednesday morning, and I bring some things into the main office, and Miss Culver's there, secretary, and she says, you know, I need to ask you about something. I um, went to Mardell's a long time ago to try to find, a, a, you know, get some bulletins, and especially get a bulletin for Father's Day, but uh, there weren't any Father's Day bulletins. There just, there were none there. So I, I, I had nothing to choose from, but this is the closest I could come, so is this going to be okay? And she showed me the bulletin that you got this morning. Show me this bulletin. She said, I mean, is, is this going to be okay? I looked at it, and at first I thought, oh, man, let's, where else can we go? We've got to get a Father's Day bulletin. Then I saw the word Father on the bulletin. I said, hey, that's good enough. Yeah, use that. It's got Father on it, <laughs> okay? And I turned. I said, no, no, fine. It's got the word Father on it, okay? It's fine. Go ahead. Back to the office I went. I thought, well, what did it say? I saw the word Father, but what did it say? And probably... There's probably a Bible verse on there, you know, usually is, maybe always is, I don't know. I said, so I got up from my desk and I, and I went back to the office. I said, let me see that bulletin again. I look at the bulletin and say, oh, yeah, it's got a reference there. I wonder what that verse says. I don't have that verse memorized. So I uh, head back to the office. I grab my Bible and I find the verse in the Bible. I read the verse in the Bible. Never, never remember ever seeing the verse before. So you don't have the book of Isaiah memorized? No. Do you? Do you? Come on now, do you? never saw them. I never remember the verse. I said, that could be a good Father's Day verse. And this message was born. Would you turn to Isaiah 64? I'd like to read the chapter, but before I do, in fact, I was going to announce the chapter after I told you what's in it. So you'd listen to me instead of reading, okay? So would you look up this way, please, as soon as you find Isaiah 64? Because we're going to read it together in just a moment. You don't have to get a head start. But we want to save a little time here and tell you what's in this chapter. It's only 12 verses long. Most of the chapters in Isaiah are not 12 verses long. We couldn't read the whole chapter. We can read this one. In this chapter, we have, in fact, in, verse, in chapter 20, uh, 63 and 64, we have the prayer of a righteous remnant of Israelites. They are in Babylonian captivity where they were for 70 years. They would absolutely have a, a strong feeling of hopelessness. Hopelessness. 
And yet, as they thought about Israel's history, they realized that there were times before where they also, God's people, Israel, could have felt very hopeless. And their minds went back to Egypt, how they are hopefully, I mean, hopelessly in bondage, not 70 years at that time, 400 years to the Egyptians, but God looked upon them. God was gracious to them. God had compassion on them. And he miraculously led them out of Egypt. Miraculously got them across the Red Sea on dry ground. Got them through the wilderness, miraculously, 40 years and into the promised land. And they remembered that. And so now here they are in bondage to Babylon. And they are, these, these righteous people are, are very conscious of their great sin. They know that everything they're getting is at the hand of God, and they also know they deserve it. They're getting exactly what they deserve. But in the, in the, in the middle of thinking about that, they realize that they are a very special people to God. That God, so to speak, really is their father as a nation. And so instead of feeling hopeless, while they feel very convicted of their sins... They decide that it's time to cry out to their father and ask their father to help them. Back in chapter 63 and verse 15, if you want to go there for just a moment, look at the first phrase. Look down from heaven and behold from the habitation of thy holiness and of thy glory. Where is thy zeal and thy strength? The sounding of thy bowels and of thy mercies toward me. Are they restrained? Notice that first phrase. Look down from heaven. There's a plea here for God just to look down from heaven upon them and remember them. Now, when you come to chapter 64, they go another step. They don't ask God to look down from heaven. They ask God to, so to speak, rend the heavens, tear the heavens, so to speak, like tearing a garment, and for God to come down to them. This is a desperate situation. They cry for God to come down from above and to judge their enemies and to deliver them, to rescue them from captivity because they're crying out to him for help just like a child cries out to dad for help. All the fathers here today surely can relate to what I've just said. Surely there are, have been many times where your son or your daughter or your sons or daughters had a desperate situation. They might have felt really, really hopeless. But in the middle of their hopelessness, thinking maybe I should give up, there's, there's no way out of this thing, they thought, what about dad? Maybe my dad can help me. And you know, if dad can, he comes through and helps. That's just the way we think about our father. Cry out to our father. That's what Israel's doing here. Follow along, please, beginning at verse 1. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down. The mountains flowed down at thy presence. We think he's referring here to Israel in the wilderness, Mount Sinai, when God gave him the law. 
For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth. For we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and has consumed us because of our iniquities. In other words, we know what we're getting and we deserve it. It's our fault. But now, here's our text, verse 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, and thou our potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness like Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is desolate. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praise thee is burned up with fire and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? Back to verse 8, please. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay. Thou art our potter. We are all the work of thy hand. Father, help us, I pray, to understand in these few moments that we have today and looking at your word, would you help us to see that you are father of all and especially for believers, you are our heavenly father. Help us to look to you as our children would look to us. We might understand some more, Father, of the truth that I know most of us have thought of and heard many times that you are not only our creator, but as Christians, you are our Heavenly Father. I pray that the message, therefore, will be a challenge and an encouragement to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just two points, two major points today in the message. First of all, God is the Father of all in one way or in one sense. Have you ever heard the phrase, we've all heard the phrase, the fatherhood of God and the, the brotherhood of man. Fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. What's that all about? All mankind has, so to speak, a father. A creator father. But when you think of the fact of the phrase, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, basically, from the scriptural standpoint, it's, the, it's a focus on creation. In fact, if you're still here in Isaiah 64, verse 8, down at the bottom, there's a little footnote. Dr. Schofield, if you have a Schofield reference Bible, it says here the reference is to the relationship through creation rather than through faith. And then also see also Acts 17, which we'll see in just a few moments, okay? So what Dr. Schofield is saying is here, look, when Israel cries out to God as their father, when we think of the phrase the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, the focus is really only upon creation, the fact that we are all created by God. Our text is a phrase that speaks of God being the, the potter and, and we're the clay. Several times in scripture, 
you read about this. The fact that, that as men, we are the work of God's hands. God's the potter. All human beings are spoken of as being clay. And the reference is again to God as the creator of all mankind. He is the creator of the heavens above. He is the creator of the earth beneath. He's the creator of the seas. And he is the creator of anything and everything in the heavens above, the earth below, or the seas. God as creator. Would you go please, if you will, to Jeremiah for just a moment. The next book, Jeremiah chapter 18. People as individuals are fashioned by God, a potter, just like we are, so to speak, a lump of clay. Would you go to Jeremiah 18? Verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there will I cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that made and the vessel that, was, that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel. Notice, please, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, Jeremiah, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. And really there's a good lesson there for us. Because there might be somebody here today that you know in your heart that God has made you. But quite honestly, when you look at your life, you know you've messed up what he wants to do. You know that you're not the vessel that he would want you to be. And in this passage... We have the potter remaking the vessel. How many of you have gone to some place, somewhere, where you've seen somebody spinning a wheel and having their hands on some clay and a potter making a pot or a bowl or whatever? How many have been there? Someplace. Several times, my wife and I. And every time I go, I say the same thing. I watch for about 15 minutes. And I look at my wife and I'd say, I would think his hands, by the end of the day, would be so raw, they'd be bleeding. You say, why would you think that? It's just the way it is, okay? I mean, it's like, you know, in the water. I mean, how many times can you do that? And I'm thinking, his hands on him. Last time I was a lady, I thought, that poor lady, that's a man's job, man. Don't mess up her beautiful hands. He said, weren't you thinking about what he was making, what she was making? Not really. I was thinking about her hands that ought to be burned up. But the potter re redoes the, so he's working on one thing. I should say, oh, I think I like another little crease here. You know, this, oh, okay. I mean, it's like, whoa. Now listen, maybe today you're thinking, you know, I'm not really happy with, happy with the vessel I have here. I wish God could remake me. Maybe God is just waiting for you to acknowledge that you're not what you should be. That you have messed up your life in some way. And I think it's encouraging that there's hope for anybody who says, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I should be. I don't believe that I'm really what God intended me to be. But if I will surrender to him, if I would just yield to him as my creator, God, maybe he can reshape me. Maybe he can, yes, he can change your life. He can change the life of any person who will acknowledge that he's not what he could be and should be. 
He wants God to do another work in his life. Many times in the scriptures, when you think of Israel, even as in our text, several times the Israelites spoke of God as their father. They thought of the, when did they think of God as their father? When they thought of the specialness of their nation. When they think of the fact that it was God's plan and God's will to have a nation, a people, that he would call out from the ends of the earth to be separated unto himself. His own people, Israel. And when Israel would think of that relationship, when they would think of themselves in comparison or really contrast with all the nations round about, they would say, look, we're not like them. We are a different group of people. We are a special people. We're supposed to be a holy nation separated unto the only one true eternal God. He is the father of our nation. We owe our existence to him. Who was the father of Israel as a man? Tell me, please. Abraham. When did God call Abraham out of the curve, out of Ur of the Chaldees? And say, I'm going to lead you to a, a, a place that you don't even know about. You don't know where it is, but I'm going to get you there. And that is going to be the land for you and your people, so to speak, Israel. When did that all happen? Back in Exodus, Genesis chapter 12 in the Bible. And Israel would go back to that. They'd be thinking, you know, that's the way it was. We were nobody. There was no Israel. There was no separated people of God. And God called Abraham our father out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And then now, here we are in the promised land, the land of Canaan, as God's own people. And they would say, truly, God is our father in a different way than he is of all the other people on the earth. And you find many times reference to that in scripture. In fact, we were in Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. Look at the first verse of Jeremiah 31. At the same time, saith the Lord, L-O-R-D capital, Jehovah eternal God, at the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, they shall be my people. Look at verse 9. They shall come with weeping and with supplication will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. That's God saying, I, will, I, will, I am a father of Israel. Ephraim is my firstborn. And so we have a group a nation of people who acknowledge that God to them is more than just creator God, so to speak. He is a father creator in the fact that he has called them to himself. Would you go back, please, if you will, to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, because when we think of the fact that God is a father to all people in some way, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1. The story of creation. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth to open the ferment of heaven or in the, in the open ferment of heaven. 
And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Question, do you believe in creation, not by evolution, but by the direct hand of God? I mean, this whole... Chapter 1, chapter 2 of Genesis. But he's not finished. Verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image. Let us, plural, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, triune God. Let us make man, not animals now, not fish now, not birds now. Let us make man, notice please, in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man, notice please, in his own image. He did not create cattle or monkeys or chickens or pigs or fish or birds in his own likeness after his own image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Notice please, he created them male and female. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That's general creation. Now would you go to chapter 2 and notice something about specific creation now. General creation, chapter 1, go to chapter 2. Would you notice, please, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Here's how he did it. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now would you go, please, to verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But, whoa, got a problem. For Adam, there was not found and help me for him. Can you see Adam out there naming all these animals? Male, female, male, female, male, female, male, female. We were at my brother's house in vacation. We stayed with my brother Dave and his wife Julie. They have a bunch of bird feeders out in their deck. I mean, I've never seen so many birds in my life. And they're pointing out all these different birds that are coming. I say, well, that, that's, I say, hey, well, I know that's a cardinal. Yeah, that's the male cardinal. Well, there's the female. And then there's like, all these different birds, and, and what a difference between the male and female. I was saying how the, the good-looking birds were the men. I mean, I'm sorry, that's just, you know, what I was saying. kind of, say, wait, what about all those females? Okay, well, I'm just saying the brightly colored women were usually the males. These male females. So here's Adam, and he's naming all these, and it's like, oh, male and female. Well, where's my female? 
Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his, it took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave... Here's what marriage is all about, okay? Don't miss this. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You say, Pastor, what's this all about? There are so many places in the Bible where God says authoritatively and very clearly that God is the father of all mankind in the fact that he is their absolute creator. If there is one place in the New Testament that this is said very clearly, we've got to go there. Go to Acts 17. Then we'll talk about a different kind of father. Go to Acts 17. Acts 17, Paul, missionary, church planner, evangelist. He's in Athens. He's preaching on Mars Hill. There's all these statues, these altars to all these gods, but there's one to an unknown God. And Paul says, well, I couldn't help but notice you had this altar to an unknown God. You don't know who he is? Let me tell you about this God that you don't even know who he is. And he begins to give a message on the only true living God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have time to read the whole sermon that he gives. Why don't we just start at verse well, why don't we just start at 22, okay? Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that, you, that in all these things you are too superstitious. For as I beheld, as I passed by and I beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Now notice what he says about this God. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, he dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Did you get that? This God that he's preaching about. He's the God who made the world. He's the God who made all the things therein. And he, he is Lord of heaven. He's Lord of earth. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He's not worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He is creator of all people. Notice please, he's not finished. Verse 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far away from every one of us. For in him, in this one true creator God, verse 28, in him we live, we move, we have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are all his offspring. Did you get that phrase? We are all his offspring. Look at 29. For as much then as we 
are the offspring of God. We ought not think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. That little phrase there, we are implied, we are all the offspring of God. What does the word offspring mean? It comes from the Greek word genos, from which we get our word genes. Now, I don't mean blue genes. I mean physical genes, okay? It's the word, the word itself is a word that means to become, to cause to be. We are all the offspring of God. Coming from the word which means to cause to be, to come into being or to become. And so it's translated sometimes race. Dr. C.I. Schofield says again in his reference Bible, genos is race. The reference is to the creation work of God in which he made man, that is mankind, the race in Adam and in his own likeness. Now that is, ex that is exactly what we've seen in these verses in the Old Testament. Genos, race, the reference to the creation work of God in which he made man, that is mankind, the race in Adam, in his own likeness. In other words, every human being, every human being is a part of the same race. Amen? And that's all the way back to Adam. But that's all the way back to God who made Adam. The fact that man was made in the image or likeness of God is one proof that God is not a thing. He is called a person. And we should never worship a God, Paul says, of wood or stone or metal because we are made in the likeness of God and God is a person. We are all children of God in one sense. He is our creator and we owe our life and breath to him everywhere, all man, period. But there's a second reference to God as father in the Bible. In some sense, or in some way, it's different. So what is that all about? For a Christian, God is not just creator God to us. God is our savior God. God is our redeemer God. In other words, God is our heavenly father. Frankly, no unsaved person should ever pray heavenly father. He's not their heavenly father. And really, no Christian should just say, dear God. It's dear, how did Jesus tell his disciples to pray? When they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John called his disciples to pray. What did Jesus say? Our Father, which art in heaven. So there's a relationship here now that some people have with God that is different than the relationship that most of the people in the world have with God. Would you go, please, in the New Testament? Would you go to John 1? John 1. In fact, I quoted these verses this morning while I was praying. Thanking God again for my salvation. The first verses that came to my mind were John chapter 1, verses 11, 12, and 13. In the few moments that we have left, let's just look at a few verses where God is spoken of as a father to believers, to Christians. John 1, verse 11, 12, and 13. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become what, folks? The sons of God, 
even to them that believe on his name. Jesus Christ came to his own world. He came to his own people, and they did not receive him. But whoever does receive Christ, accept Christ, put his faith in Christ, God gives the power, God gives the authority for them to be called the sons of God, even to those who believe on Jesus Christ's name. Look at verse 13. Which were born, not of blood. It's not about our physical birth nor of the will of the flesh. It's not about our physical birth. It's not family. It's not about the will of the flesh, our personally deciding, making this up and deciding this for ourselves, so to speak, nor of the will of man. Listen, our spiritual birth is all of God, that God saves us, that we are born again into the family of God. We not only have eternal life, we not only have the forgiveness of all of our sins, we have a relationship now with God, our creator, that unsaved people absolutely know nothing about. Is there a contrast here? Oh, you listen, I'll quote it for you. John 8, 44. There was a, a group of Jews who were confronting Christ. They did not believe in him. But they said that God was their father, and they said Abraham was their father. And Jesus said, no, no, God is not your father. Abraham is not your father. You would not be treating me like you are if God were your father and if Abraham were your father. You are of your father. Can you finish it? He said, you are of your father, the devil. Who's the devil? Satan. He said, you're in the family of God. You're not in my family. No, you're not in my spiritual family. You are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. Listen, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he speaketh, he said he, he speaks a lie. Why? Because Jesus said he's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. It's another family. It's a completely different family. And he said, that's the family you're in. Satan's your father. God is not your father. Would you go please to the book of Galatians? Back to chapter 3 in Galatians. Galatians 3. Look at verse 26. For ye, Paul says to the believers in Galatia, ye are all the children of God. How? Out loud, please. Would you finish it? By faith in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. That's how you become a child in the family of God. So that you can call God truly your heavenly father. Because you're saved. You are all the children of God by faith. In Christ Jesus. Right across the page in my Bible. Let's look at chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Galatians. Beginning at verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come. When the time was fully come. At just the right time. When the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son. Made of a woman. Virgin birth. Made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive what please? The adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, saying, Abba, Father. We just sang that, right? Because you're sons, by faith in Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed. God has sent forth his son. He has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Look at verse 7. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Don't you love that verse? All people everywhere should be thinking of themselves as servants of God because he's only their creator. God is not just the creator of the Christian. He's the savior of the Christian. He's our heavenly father. 
and therefore we call him Father when we talk to him in prayer. And we are no longer servants of him. We are servants in a different way only because we have volunteered to serve him because he saved us. I'll preach on that sometime soon. Been working on that message for a long time. Servants of God. Wherefore thou art no more a servant like a slave servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Dr. Albert Barnes says, listen to this, I love this. No higher honor can be conferred upon mortals than to be adopted into the family of God and be permitted to call the Most High our Father. No rank is so elevated as that of being the sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty. Would you just kind of let that sink in? Listen to that. No higher honor can be conferred on mortals than to be adopted into the family of God, to be permitted to call the Most High our Father. No rank is so elevated as that of being sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty. Listen, you know this. Both of our children, Todd and Darla here, both of our children are adopted. I hope that they have grown up saying, it's been a really privilege to be adopted into the family of Larry and Bonnie Carsey's. But you know what? That is nothing in comparison with being adopted into the family of God. The fact that God would take us out of Satan's family on our way to hell and say, if you will just trust by faith my son who loves you and died for you and rose again, you will receive eternal life and I will take you from where you are and I will adopt you into my family. It's all because of the person and work of Christ. And I agree with Dr. Barnes. There is no higher honor we could ever think of than to be adopted into the family of God. Amen? It's for Christians. Would you go to Romans 8? Just a few more and we're finished. Go to Romans 8. There's no way I could preach on this without thinking of Romans 8. Romans 8, 14 through 17 goes along with a song we sang this morning. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, and in context, every true believer is led by the Spirit of God. Maybe we don't live that every day like we should, but that is a characteristic of a Christian. We are no longer controlled by our flesh, but as a way of living, we are controlled by God's Spirit. We're led by God's Spirit who, who indwells us. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And you have not received the spirit of, a, of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself, or literally the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, he bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we might be glorified together. What a wonderful passage of scripture to think that now I can call God, Abba, Father can call God, Daddy can call God, my Heavenly Father. Because I've received Christ and I'm now led by the Spirit instead of the, the, the lost flesh. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Toward the end of the Bible, not the Gospel of John, now 1 John chapter 3. I love the first two or three verses of John, 1 John chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Do you understand that? Behold, what manner of love. Oh, the word phrase, the phrase what manner of is a phrase that means literally, oh, how this, different, this differs from all others. 
The disciples one day saw, the, saw Jesus calm the sea, and they said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? You know, what manner of, oh, how this one differs from all others. Same phrase, behold. Oh, how this differs from all other loves. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. We're sons of God as Christians because God's love differs from all other loves and we don't deserve it. Chapter 5, please look at verse 1. 1 John 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is what? Out loud, please. Once again, is what? How do you become born of God? You believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah the anointed one, the Savior, the Redeemer. John 20, verses 30 and 31. And many other signs or miracles truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, John said. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have what? Life through his name. How do you get eternal life? How do you receive everlasting life? Very simple. You see Jesus Christ in the Bible and you trust him as your personal savior and you're born again by the spirit of God. And now for the first time, you can say, God, you are my heavenly father. I don't get to preach tonight if I did. If I did. I preach on what God does to us who are in his family. Because he's not just our Heavenly Father. He is our perfect Heavenly Father. I am not a perfect father. My daughter's over here. I don't know how long it would take you to tell him. But my daughter could tell you some of her dad's imperfections. Don't laugh. It's just true. You, are you laughing in unbelief? Oh, that's wonderful. My daughter could say, listen, you know, I really think a lot of my dad. I respect my dad. I admire my dad. I love my dad. But, however... He's not really perfect because, and, and however, whatever she would tell you, I have no idea. By the way, when she gets done, come to me and I'll tell you she's a wonderful daughter, but she's not perfect either. See? Our Heavenly Father is perfect. He's just absolutely perfect. He never makes any mistakes in what he does as our Heavenly Father. He has all wisdom. He is all loving. He is all powerful. He has all resources at his disposal. All, every advice he gives is always right. Right on target, of course. Of course, he's perfectly holy. And this one is my heavenly father. And he provides for my needs and he protects me in ways that are just hard to even imagine. But that's what he does because he is the father of every true Christian and unsafe people do not know what they're missing because they just know, and most of them don't even believe this, that God made me. Bow your heads, please, if you will. Which family are you in today? Are you in the family of God? 
you are if you have come to the place in your life, sometime, someplace, where you saw yourself as God sees you, a sinner, one day facing judgment, meeting God as your judge, not as your heavenly Father, Savior. On your way to hell, no hope, lost. But one day, you heard about that. You saw yourself as God saw you, and you turned from, you repented of your sin, especially your sin of unbelief, because that day you put your trust in God's own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You received him. You believed in his name. You trusted him. You put all your confidence in him. And you said, I'm going with Jesus Christ to be my savior because I know he died for me and he rose again and he's in heaven alive and I know he will forgive me if I believe and trust him. And you did that. Maybe you didn't know it, but the second you did that, you were taken out of the family of Satan, only knowing God as your creator God. And you were brought into the family of God. God's spirit came to live in your body. And now for the first time, you could pray, dear heavenly father, because God was now your spiritual father. What a privilege. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you should trust Christ. You should come to know God in a special way. Thank God for all he's done for you that you don't deserve. The Bible says, Jesus said, that God even makes the sun to shine and he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He doesn't just take care of Christians from A to Z. He watches over, in one sense, all mankind because of his love and mercy. But when you take your last breath on planet Earth, you don't go to heaven. You don't have eternal life. You might have had the best of life on earth, but you're still lost. You need the Lord. You need to be saved as a Christian. Do you live a life that shows forth your relationship to God, your Father? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Are you doing that? Do people get the right idea of God by what they see in your life? How's your testimony? Do you pray to the Lord regularly as Father? Do you express your gratitude to Christ daily for your salvation? Father, we thank you for your word today. On this Father's Day, to take our attention off ourselves as fathers, not to put our attention on some of the fathers or a father in the Bible, but Father, to put our eyes upon you our Heavenly Father. Thank you for creating us. We owe our very existence to you today. Whoever we are, whatever we're like, wherever we were born, whoever our parents are, Father, we know it's because you made us. You're our creator. We owe our life to you. Thank you most of all for being our Savior, showing us our need of salvation and your provision in Christ, your Son. Therefore, Father, thank you that you are today our Heavenly Father. With our heads bowed, please, our eyes still closed. Would you stand with me?